right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Uh, for those of you that perhaps are visiting or don't know what we are doing the series, we're doing the series on Colossians. Uh, and just remember, just to, the, the background is uh, Paul is writing from the Roman jail at, towards the end of his life. Um, he's writing in response to a guy called Epaphras who's come to him. And Epaphras and Paul cooperated together in Ephesus. And if you can just think of Turkey, modern-day Turkey, on the western side, the ancient city of Ephesus is. And Paul spent three years there teaching and building the church with Epaphras. And then Epaphras went back, if you think of the map, to the east, to a little town called uh, Colossia, which is in the Lysias Valley. And there are a number of other towns that the Bible speaks of in that area. One is uh, Laodicea, if you can remember that from, from Revelation. And these churches were all in the same valley and quite close together. And so it's likely that Epaphras was, a, it was his hometown, and he went back and he planted this church. And then people came into the church after it had been going for a while and started saying, well, you know, Epaphras is a good guy, but really he hasn't really preached the gospel to you. You know, he's left some things out. And what you really need to do is you need to add to what Epaphras has said to complete the work of Christ. And what you need, as well as Jesus, you need a little bit of Greek philosophy, you need a little bit of Jewish tradition. We'd like you to be circumcised. Aren't you glad that that's not uh, around today, guys? All right? To join this church, you must be circumcised. We stand at the door and we'll just check when you come in. All right? That's what, he's, that's what they were saying. You must, be, you must have some Jewish tradition. You must be circumcised. You must add some Greek philosophy. And then they also had this very kind of uh, super spiritual idea about angels. And they said, you need to add these things to what Epaphras has said, so that Christ might be complete, and the work of Christ might be complete. And of course, Paul writes back, he comes to the defense of his son, Epaphras is a son in Christ, and he says, actually, I want to speak to you as kindly as I can, uh, but he speaks quite strongly to them about these things. And in chapter 2, the chapter that we're looking at now, he starts to deal directly with some of these things that these teachers are saying. And so, he, he is, is, in a sense, challenging them uh, in a specific way. Uh, and here we see this uh, argument begin to be unpacked by Paul. He says this, um, uh, In Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Now, why Paul is saying that is because this has got to do with these guys' view on angels. And they saw uh, spiritual life in a hierarchical way. So they said the deity, the supreme one, is above all, and then there are layers of angels that come under the, this supreme deity. And what we are um, uh, required to do is that some people are, are given special knowledge, special revelation, and there was a thing called Gnosticism, which was around in the first couple of centuries, which taught that only special people who had the divine spark as a gift in their lives could know God. And so all the rest of us couldn't know God quite in the same way as these special people did. So you can see it's quite a, a kind of super spiritual view that only certain people had special knowledge. And so these guys were saying that this special knowledge is available and how we get the special knowledge is that through various things that we are required to do, we can ascend the levels of spirituality and then uh, in a sense become one with the divine, the deity. 
And so that's why Paul says in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in, in terms of what you eat or drink or with regard to new festivals for the new moon or Sabbath. And he says that because these guys were saying, actually what you need to do is you need to observe all of these things so that you can get more and more spiritual. You need to uh, uh, observe certain festivals. You need to eat certain foods. You need to beat your body. You need to be ascetic in that sense so that you can begin to ascend and become spiritual people. It's good what Jesus has done, but you also need to do that. So that's what Paul is beginning to, to challenge. Uh, also in verse 21 of chapter 2, you'll see there's a verse that says, Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. In other words, these people were teaching there are certain things you could eat, certain things you couldn't, and if you did eat these, you wouldn't be spiritual. And Paul obviously, in terms of all of these things, writes and says, absolutely not, all right? Absolutely not. All the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of who God is, is manifested, is found in one person, Jesus and there's nothing else that you need to add to Jesus to enjoy the fullness of who God is. Amen? And so, I, I mean, I want to I put it to you that we can think about some things like in the church, you know. Um, unless you pray and, and fast, and unless you do certain things, God is not pleased with you. We, we live with that in the modern church. Uh, there's backgrounds that you, many of you might be f familiar with that are incredibly legalistic. Unless you dress like this, eat this, don't do that, do this, God is not pleased with you. I think Paul would write a resounding no to everybody and say, you, the fullness of who God is available to you in Jesus Christ, He wants to touch and transform your life, and from the inside, He wants you to live in a certain way. And of course, fasting is good and praying is good and all that, but it doesn't make you ascend any kind of spiritual hierarchy at all. It's just because you love Jesus that you do those things. But here's the fullness of all you need. Amen? That's what Paul is saying. And you're... F it's distorting. Well, we'll get it right. Don't worry. Okay. So Paul says, to be a true Christian, you must live in Jesus. Remember, we spoke about this last week. And avoid philosophy, avoid human tradition, uh, and all of Christ is available to us, and that's all that we need. The entire nature. In other words, all power, all love, all mercy, all wisdom that, that we need, every other divine characteristic that we might need in our lives is available to us in Jesus. That's the first thing that uh, Paul says. Secondly, and I mentioned this last week, Paul is really driving the point home that every blessing that we need is available in Jesus. There's no source of blessing outside of Jesus. Remember, I used the picture last week of the, of the plant, and the roots go down deep into the soil, and all of the energy and the life of the soil is sucked up in the roots into the plant. And it's that picture that Paul is trying to um, get us to understand. Everything that we need, every blessing, every spiritual blessing that we need is available to us in Jesus. If we are rooted in Him, all of His energy and life is available to us. That's why he says, in Him we live and move and have our being. In other words, all that we need all the sufficiency of our lives is completely fulfilled in Jesus and we have all that we need. All we need to do is continue to be rooted in Him and to depend on Him totally for our lives. 
What a liberating thing. Thirdly, Paul is also saying that deliverance from every demonic power is available instantly to everyone who believes in Jesus. You see, these guys were saying that you needed to do a whole lot of extra stuff to be set free from demons. And uh, you can read this yourself if, you, if, if you'd like to. You can go and find a, a book on, on Colossians, and it will tell you that these guys were saying, actually, that there are additional things in terms of being set free from demonic powers that you need to observe. And that's still around in our world today. If you travel to the east, if you come to us with Cambodia, you'll see that there are people that offer incense and money and all manner of things to idols to, to, to temple in temples. Why? Because they are trying to appease the gods so that they might be blessed. Or they wear little um, uh, leather thongs on their, on their wrists as a, to ward off evil spirits. Uh, many, many traditional cultures ha have this, that you must do some things to ward off the evil spirits. Uh, in Hong Kong, you can find buildings with big holes in them. There's one particular building I'm thinking of in Hong Kong. It's a massive, massive um, uh, high-rise building, and literally in the middle is a hole that they've built in the hole. Why? Because the dragon comes down from the mountain and the dragon needs to get where he can go and the building's in the way. And I kid you not. That's a, you can go and look for it in a modern culture in Hong Kong. There are no floor 13s in, in um, some places in the east either. No floor 13. Sorry? The other mic? Okay. This is, um, sorry, this is a new mic which is not working. We've tried our best. No floor 13s in, in certain um, places in the east as well, because it's an unlucky number. So when you're going up in, 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 in your, uh, to your flat, you go 9, 10, 11, 12, 14. People are full of superstition and full of fear that you need to ward off evil spirits. And what Paul is saying is, no, actually, Jesus is the head over every spiritual authority. Every single thing. You don't need to beat your body, you don't need to fast, you don't need to fear, you don't need to do any of that, because Christ is the supreme ruler of all. He is over all. And you don't need lengthy techniques to be set free. You are set free instantly when you pray, because Jesus uh, has ravished your heart, and He comes and lives with you, and you're set free. That is what Paul is saying. And then what I'd like to just look at a little bit more this morning is this thing of circumcision, because that's the fourth thing that Paul um, mentions here in these verses. And he says, uh, really, that what circumcision symbolizes, we have all that by faith. And that's why he's saying to these guys, you don't have to be circumcised, because Christ has done all that circumcision was pointing to. And that's why he says in verse 11, in Him you were circumcised with a circumcision that is made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Why, why does he use um, this image? Well, like I said already, it's undoubtedly because these people were saying to the male members of this church in Colossia, you must be circumcised. And so they were trying to bring some Jewish tradition into the church. And you, you know that circumcision is a very simple operation with a knife. But the, 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 um, the, the spiritual application of that that Paul is speaking of is here is saying that God has operated in our hearts 
and he's operated in everybody's heart that loves Jesus and hates sin. There's a circumcision that has happened on the inside. There's a cutting away of the old that has happened on the inside, and God has given us a new heart. That's what he's speaking about. And he's saying that all of that happens when you put your faith in Jesus, and you don't need the outward physical sign anymore. That's what uh, he's saying. So he says in verse 12, Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so here the word baptism is simply referring to water baptism, and it's another way about, uh, that, that we can speak about faith. Because water baptism really is an expression of our faith that is visible to other people. That's why it's important that when you get baptized, it's in public. It's a public demonstration of the faith that you have for Jesus, and you are demonstrating that to everybody. And so it's important um, to remember here that the Greek word is baptismos, uh, and it's a technical word. Uh, f- um, it's not a technical word for water baptism. It, it simply means to dip. It simply means to place. And so I say that because when you read the word bap- baptize in the New Testament, it can mean a number of things that don't have anything to do with water. Right? And you need to think of that when you read the word baptized. It's, it's a word that simply means to place or to dip. So, for example, um, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized into. He, re- he says that in the Gospels. And there he's not talking about water. He's talking about suffering. He's saying, my life is going to be a demonstration to you. I'm going to be dipped into. I'm going to be baptized into suffering on your behalf. That's what Jesus is saying. So the word there means simply, I'm going to be placed into this thing for you. So it's not always a reference to water. Or, for example, Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 12, he says, when we are saved, we are placed. We are baptized into the body of Christ. That's what he says. Um, For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made of the one sp- to drink of the one spirit. He's not talking about water baptism there. He's saying, no, this thing that God has done when you are saved, you are placed, you are dipped, you are put into the body of Christ. Baptismos. You with me? And so when you read baptize in the New Testament, make sure that it's, it doesn't, it's not always speaking about water. It's talking about this dipping or being placed into something like the body of Christ when you get saved. And that's what Paul is saying here. So in this verse, it simply means in verse 12, you are buried with Jesus. And the picture is being buried is when you are baptized, you're placed into the water. And in the same way, you are raised as well in faith and power uh, when, Jesus, when Jesus was raised from the dead. The same thing that happened to Jesus has happened to you. You are in him. And so you were baptized in him and you are raised to life in him because of the power of God. And that's what is demonstrated uh, every time that we baptize people. And so, in other words, Paul is saying, you don't need this outward circumcision anymore. Uh, God has done all of that on the inside of you, and he circumcised your heart when you were placed into Jesus and when you were born again. So, in, in, in every way, they have a new nature, they have a new heart, they are new creations in Christ. And so all these other routines that these philosophers were saying they need to observe are redundant. And Paul says, you don't need them. None of that is necessary because Jesus has done all that is necessary. 
And he says this over and over and over again. And, you know, I thought about this when I was preparing this week, and I, I said to Helen, but I've preached this before, and the people are going to get bored of me saying the same thing over and over and over again. And then I just remembered, I remembered something that I read, that it takes, when you, when you hear something, it takes at least five times for it to register for most people. Isn't it true? You need to hear things over and over. And when Paul writes, he does that on purpose. He takes a, a theme, he unpacks it, and he repeats it over. And, he, and he, from every different angle, he tries to get us to understand it. And so I'm going to just do that again this morning. All right? Colossians 2, what does Paul remind them of about the fact that they are new creations? In verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God has made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling our record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in his death. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in terms of what you eat or drink, with food or drink, or with regard to any festival or new moon or Sabbath." So Paul is saying, Jesus is sufficient. He is all. That's all that you need. Don't worry about demons. Don't worry about anything else. Jesus is the supreme authority. And then he comes back and he reminds them. And he says, let me remind you once more, you were dead, but you have been made alive in Jesus. He comes back and he repeats his theme over and over again. And so for all of us, for the Colossians and for you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, you once were spiritually dead. You are unresponsive to God. You are powerless to break off sin of your own life. You were spiritually blind. You were full of unbelief. You were cut off from God, as was I. That's what Paul is saying. But now, we have been made alive in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead has worked in all of our lives and transformed us from the inside. When, when Jesus was raised, the scripture says, you were raised because you are in Christ. What assurance for your life. Jesus has paid the price for you, has been raised for you. You are in him as you believe the same death that he died, you have died, and the same resurrection power that he brought into our lives, you enjoy right now. That is the promise of the scripture. Remind yourself, you once were dead, you now are alive. Okay, I had, a, I had a late night last night, and I felt dead this morning when I came. I said to the guys, I feel a little bit like this. But God would remind all of us, we once were dead, we now are alive. What does he do? After he's reminded them that they were dead, and now they're alive. He, re he reminds them that they were forgiven. How many of you need to be reminded of forgiveness in your lives all the time? Man, the devil is, is a schemer, isn't he? He's a liar, and he reminds you of things that you don't want to be reminded of, that have been forgiven. And here, Paul connects these two things together. He says you've been made alive, and the new life that you enjoy flows out of the forgiveness that you have received. That's what he says. God accepts you and accepts me before he gives us new life. Isn't that wonderful? He doesn't say you have to do certain stuff or behave in a certain moral way before I will give you new life. He, he forgives us while we were dead in our sin, while we weren't looking for him, while our hearts were absolutely hard and we were doing all sorts of stuff that displeased him. Even in that place, he loves us, he accepts us, he forgives us, and then the new life comes. 
And that's good news. You don't have to do anything to deserve the new life that God wants for you. It's a gift, an extravagant gift that He just lavishes on your life. All right? Still with me? And thirdly, He reminds them, He says, you once dead, you were alive. That's because God has forgiven you. And thirdly, what's behind that is the cross. The, the cross transforms your life entirely. That is what's behind all of these events. And he uses this amazing, I don't know if you've thought about this, and I just saw it this week. He uses this amazing picture of a, a, a certificate with all your debt on it. That's what he uses. And he says in verse 14, this new relationship that's available to us through the cross of Jesus does this. By canceling the record or the certificate of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and nailed it to the cross. It's a powerful picture. Paul is saying that in all of our lives, there's sin, and there's a record of sin, and it's like a certificate with all the stuff written on it. Every single sin in my life written on a certificate. And he's saying, Jesus took that, nailed it to the cross. It is gone. It is finished. It's nothing there. Man, that shouldn't cause you to go, yes, all my sin has been washed away. Every single sin has been washed away. It is no longer, God doesn't even see it anymore. In Christ, he took that certificate of all the things that you've ever done, and he nailed it to the cross, and he said, it is finished, it is done, it is gone. No more record of wrong, gone. It's true for you, true for me, as you are in Christ. Amen. It's a powerful powerful picture and he's he's trying to get us to see that because it, it, that picture implies that we have an indebtedness to God because of sin and secondly it implies that that list is known to the evil one that list is known to the evil one that's why he torments us that's why he, he tries to bring back to our memories those things that God has forgiven us for that the devil wants to terrorize your conscience you know that's that's what he's bent on that's why you wake up in the early hours of the night remembering things that's long gone. Why? Because the devil wants to torment your conscience when God wants to say your conscience is free because I've taken that and it's no longer there. Thirdly, there's an implication here that there's a, a legal thing. It, it, it says uh, in verse uh, that this record of debt stood against us with its legal demands. For me, that speaks about trying to live by the law, the Mosaic law, which was only given to Israel. But so many people still try and live by rules. And when you live by rules or try and live by rules, all it does is condemn you. All it does is know that you cannot get it right. And you just feel time after time, I've, blown it again. I, I didn't get it right again. I didn't get it right. No, Jesus wants to set you free. You live by the Spirit, by the ins, from the inside out. That's what Paul says. Paul says, I, I was a perfect one. I was perfect in the law. I kept all of the law except this one. You shall not covet. And what is Paul saying when he's, when he's saying that? He's saying for all of us, there's one thing that we cannot free ourselves from. We can observe all the other things about murder and, and all that, but coveting, what is he trying to say? He's saying that none of us is free from the desire to sin. 
That's what he's saying. We covet things. We want things. We want, we want sexual things. We want whatever they are. And it's a coveting, which is, a, which is speaking to us of sin that we can't overcome apart from Christ in us, the hope of glory. Are you with me? And so there's this legal thing that Paul is trying to say, Jesus has t- taken it away. You don't have to worry. And the main point, p- p- point of all of this is that Jesus has thoroughly done this work for us. And the entire human race, with every sin that ever was, has been removed. So don't worry, says Paul. Jesus is above all of these things. Uh, your, the entire list of your sins has been abolished through death of, of Jesus on the cross. Your, your life has been wiped clean, and there's nothing to uh, accuse your conscience because Jesus has taken it away. And so I want to say to you that one of, as I finish this morning, one of the great joys that you and I can know as Christians is that our sin and that the devil needs never to terrorize our consciences ever again. You can truly be free. And that's what freedom means. Freedom means you don't have to have any regrets. You, you are sorry, of course you are sorry for the bad things that you've done, but you don't, th- those don't have to torment you. Those don't have to be like a rod on your back. Those don't have to be a constant reminder of your failure. That is what Paul is saying. In Jesus, you are free. And all that stuff is gone. And you can live with joy and a liberation and just thank you, Jesus, that you've, you've, you've touched my life and uh, the future is new. And all, the, all that is old is gone and the new has come. Amen. This is such good news. And so he's saying, that's why he finishes with this and he says, um, uh, where is it? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame and has triumphed over them in him. That's why he uses that phrase. You see, when the Romans nailed Jesus to the cross, and the Jews were um, responsible for putting Jesus there. They, they exposed him to ridicule and shame. And they thought that they were getting rid of him forever. That's what they thought they were doing. But actually, the exact opposite was happening. On the cross, Jesus took all demonic powers, all, all, all sin, and all of that evil power upon himself. And he made a spectacle of it. That's what the Bible says. He made a spectacle of all of those things, and he exposed them to shame. And here it says in these verses, and put them to open shame and triumphed over them in him. And so God was making a plan for all of his people forever, to rid us of those things forever. And God triumphed over the evil one for in need for Christian living. It's found exclusively, entirely in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, and nothing else. Nothing else. Not even our religious good intentions. Nothing else. We have all that we need for life and godliness in Christ. Say to yourself, He's all you need. Remind yourself He's all you need because He is all you need. And the devil will try and accuse you and say, you need this and you need that and you must do that. And there's some very good things that are helpful for us to do as spiritual disciplines. But actually, Paul says, all that we need is in Christ Jesus for life, for godliness, for wholeness, for freedom. All you need is in Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Amen.
Shall we pray? And then shall we worship, maybe? Just one song. Is the band, you can get up while I'm... Let's sing a happy song. <laughs> All right, this is not time for a, for a slow song. <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we do want to thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you completed all that was needed on the cross. Thank you for the freedom that is available to us in Jesus. Thank you that in you, Jesus, all the fullness of the Father dwells. Thank you that we don't need to observe a whole lot of things to please you. We don't, we don't need to beat our bodies. We don't need to, to uh, fast. We don't need to do these things. Uh, Lord, we, when we do those things, it's simply because we love you and we want to honor you in, in, in different ways. But thank you, Lord, that, that you don't beat us up, that you've taken that list of our sins and you've nailed it to the tree, to the cross, and you're, you said it is finished, it is done, it is taken away, and that our consciences can be clear. And I pray, Lord, that we would live with a clear conscience. We will live with a joyful heart, knowing what you have done because of your work on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray, even as we sing a simple song now, that you would seal those things in our heart by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray as we live this week, we would live joyfully. We would live freely. We would live with a hope and an expectation, knowing that Jesus is all that we need for our lives. And we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen.